Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Good morning, uh, Hope Toronto North. My name is Kalen. Hopefully I'm not a stranger to you guys, uh, but if I am, my name's Kalen, and I've been given the privilege to uh, preach God's word to you guys this morning. Uh, we're gonna be in the Psalms just as uh, the series is still in the Psalms. And we're actually gonna be looking at one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 62. Psalm 62. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Psalm 62 and we're gonna read the whole passage, all right? Psalm 62. It says this, starting in verse one. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man and batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, hear from your word we thank you, God, that you are a God that is active and, and is alive and is speaking to us from your word. And I pray that your people, your sheep, would be encouraged. Um, I pray that you would be with me, Holy Spirit, as I seek to bring forth God's word and preach God's word. I am a broken vessel, and, and so I pray that you would speak right through me and, and, and your glory would be manifested today. And so uh, help us, Lord, encourage us, Lord, convict us, and may Christ be big. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> 
if I just waited a little longer, like if I just waited a little longer, I probably would not have found myself in the situation that I did. Like, if I just waited a little longer, I probably would have avoided hurting myself the way I did. Probably could have avoided hurting others the way that I did. Now, typically, almost all of us have a problem with waiting. Whether that's our Uber Eats hasn't arrived on time, or it's waiting for a friend to give us a ride to go somewhere. And don't get me started on that. I think that's a sermon in and of itself on punctuality. Or it's going to the doctor's office and you're, you're sitting there, you get there on time. You said four, all right, you're there at four, but you don't go in until five. These are the problems that we have with waiting. But the kind of waiting I'm talking about, it's... It's the kind of waiting that is almost understandable if you reacted, even though you shouldn't have. Like these are situations where you're really afraid. You're really desperate. And you're thinking to yourself, man, if I don't do something, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. And that's why it's funny we find ourselves in Psalm 62 because that's how David was feeling. He found himself in that kind of situation, but unlike us, he didn't rely on himself to deal with his problem. Instead, he waited. More importantly, David waited on God to deal with his circumstance. It, David understood that there's, uh, there's wisdom in waiting on God. He understood that when our view of God is high, waiting becomes easier. That's our big idea for this text. When our view of God is high, waiting becomes easier. Now, a quick note on the word easier. You see, I, I, what I'm not trying to say is um, it's easy, right? Like I'm mindful of the fact that a lot of us, the troubling situations that we, we all face is hard. Like God understands that sometimes there are situations in your life that are just really hard. But he also knows this. He knows that if you're trusting in him, if we're trusting in him, we can wait better. The title of my message today is Waiting on the Rock. And I, I want us to look at three reasons, three reasons for why there's wisdom in waiting on the Lord. The first is this. It's wise to wait on the Lord because he saves his people. He saves his people. And Psalm 62 is kind of tricky in terms of pinpointing a specific event as it relates to David's situation. Like, we don't know what the actual context is, but we know that he was going through a trial, and we know that there were bad people that were contributing to his trial. Look at verses three to four. How long will all of you attack a man and batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. David is asking his enemies 
how long do you guys plan on continuing to attack me? And a lot of what he's saying is, is rooted in this reality that he's, he's at the point of a, of a wall or a fence that's about to collapse. Like, if you've ever watched UFC, which I'm sure there might be some of you guys and gals who, who like UFC, it's a mixed martial arts sport. And typically one of the ways that you win in a UFC match is you knock the other person out. Now just picture one of these matches, right? And the soon to be loser, like he's on the ground. He's like not, he's barely conscious. And, and, and the soon to be winner just goes on top of him and just keeps pummeling him and pummeling him. And everybody's like looking like, dude, like why are you doing that? Like it's clear you won, why are you hitting him? He's already weak, he's already about to lose. This is part of how David was feeling. And he continues to talk about their evil ways as it relates to the sinful use of their words. This idea of falsehood and blessing when really they're cursing within. And they were trying to flatter him in public. Like you might have coworkers who like to talk kindly to the boss when the boss is around. And they, and they do these things, they say these nice things to the boss because they want to have like a, a favorable standing just in case it comes in clutch one day. But when the boss leaves, those same coworkers begin gossiping and smack talking that boss. See, not only is flattery a form of lying, but it can also promote selfishness in our own lives. We can end up using people through flattery to achieve our own goals. And, and living in a world where it's just really individualistic, here's where we can shine as Christians. We ought to remind ourselves and others that everyone in this world is made in the image of God, full of dignity and worth. Therefore, they should never be viewed or used as platforms for our selfish gain. David's enemies were an example of the type of behavior that we should put to death. They were using flattery to get him down from his high position. And all that really means is it's probably a reference to his throne. Right? We read the Psalms, we read David, we know that David was a king. We know a lot of people didn't like the fact that David was a king. So it makes sense to say, all right, there's people that want to get David down from his high position. Now, if you're like me and, and you're thinking, if we just look at saw, uh, verses 3 to 4 in isolation, you might think David's situation was pretty bad. Like, this guy is hopeless. He's, he's really weak. But that's where I want us to circle back to verses 1 to 2. And that view begins to change. Look at this. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. David says this first, and then he asks his enemies, uh, how long do you guys continue, want to continue in your foolishness? You can almost imagine David saying, guys, come on. Like, do you know who's on my side? Do you know who my God is? 
David knew that God alone saves his people. And that's why in the midst of his situation, he knew it was wise to wait on the Lord. Now, there's, there's two practical things that I, I don't want us to miss before we move on from this, this first reason. The first is this. Talk to God before you talk about your trial. You see, if you're like me, often when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a troubling time, you know, all you can think about is the trial. All you, all you can think about is just the negative thoughts and how you're, you're, you're just like, man, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this. Will I ever get out of this? Why is this happening? It's super negative. And that's why we ought to talk to God in prayer first because it reminds us of who's in control. It's not us. It's not the circumstance. It's not even Satan or our enemies. It's God. God is in control. And, and, and because God is in control, he's also the only person that can save us from our trial. So talk to God in prayer first. And on another note, did you notice this? While David questions his enemy's actions, he doesn't copy his enemy's actions. It's not, oh, you batter me, now I'm a batter you. No, David doesn't do that. And here's where we see the importance of silence in the midst of waiting on God. Now, does that mean I don't talk? Just like, just silence, like I'm praying. Like, is that, is that, is that the kind of silence? No. And this is where Pastor Marv helped me out a bit. He said, you know, it's, it's not that we don't talk at all, but more so who we talk to. And David was talking to himself about God, and he was doing that in the presence of God to God, right? And so he said to himself that it is from God alone that his salvation comes. God alone. And so he, if he took matters into his own hands, he would be going against what he begins the psalm with, Right? But he firmly understood, firmly understood. It's from God alone. His salvation comes in that God saves his people. So that's our first reason for why it's wise to wait on the Lord. Now, here's our second reason for why it's wise to wait on the Lord. He protects his people. He protects his people. So David opens with God, addresses his problem, and then he reminds himself with what he opened with, but then he also adds some things to it. He says this, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. In the Christian life, if you haven't realized this by now, repetition is our friend. Right? And this is also true as a musician or an artist. Here at Toronto North, we have lots of people that are musically gifted. Like if Carla and Vivian wanted to worship the Lord freely, and that is without looking at an iPad, they would have to sing those lyrics to themselves repeatedly at home. Or if Drew and Anthony uh, wanted to rap their bars on stage with no mistake, they would have to rap at home repeatedly, saying those lyrics to themselves over and over again. And even if they might be nervous come showtime, even if they might be nervous, once you've memorized something, it sticks with you. 
So in his time of desperation, David was still able to recite who God was to him. In times of tribulation, repetition is reminding us of who God is or who God was, who God is, and who God will always be. That's why when our view of God is high, waiting becomes easier. And in our first reason, David's high view of God was that he saves his people. And now here, as I've said, I want us to look at how God is the protector of his people. I mean, look at these words. My rock, my refuge, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. He says all these things. God functions as a rock by providing us the strength to sit and wait I know some of you have that one friend or many friends. It's just like when you're sitting somewhere, they just cannot stop moving. They're just so fidgety. But I think that's an accurate representation of when we're, when we're waiting. We just can't wait and sit still. It's just so hard to do that. Um, but, but here's where God gives us that strength as a rock to be still. To be still and wait on him. You know what, I actually, I want to pause here briefly because of an interesting observation. And I also want us to give us some further incentive of why we should wait and be still. Because you see, I think, I think one reason our waiting grows in its length is because we keep getting in the way. One commentator said, Silence in the presence of the Lord will speed God's deliverance. I read that, and at first I was, I was confused. I didn't really understand what he was saying. But then he quoted John Calvin to elaborate on his point. Calvin says this, Never, as if he said, will he frustrate the, waiting patient, uh, the patient waiting of his saints. Doubtless my silence shall meet with its reward. I shall restrain myself and not make the false haste with which only, which, uh, which will only prevent my deliverance. So I might have confused you further by, by not articulating that properly. But if, if you, I'm sure you'll see it on the screen. See, when I read this, it, it, it hit me. How can God mess up the plans of believers patiently waiting on him to act? Like, I can't even imagine God going up to you and you're just like, you're patiently waiting, you're being obedient. God's like, oh, you're being obedient? Yeah, I'm just gonna like, I'm just gonna frustrate your plans. You probably can't see my foot, but I, I did a kick there. <laughs> like, God would never do that, right? And I realized this, here's what Calvin's saying in a nutshell. The only way God can frustrate your plans is if you seek to frustrate his this is why it's important we look to God, our rock for strength, strength to help us wait so we can actually be delivered quicker. So that's God is our rock. But, you know, David says other words like God, he's our fortress. He functions as our fortress. So no matter the arrows that come our way, he's the divine bunker in which we can climb into and find that shelter, find that protection. And then on top of rock and fortress, God is our refuge. That is, in times of trouble, we have somewhere, but better yet, we have someone to run to. We can climb into our Father's lap and feel safe. 
David said all of this in his silent confidence before God. He was acknowledging God as protector while waiting patiently for him to act. In fact, David's repetition of what he said in verse 1, it gives us this idea that he grew in faith. One commentator does a good job pointing out the differences from verse 1 and verse 5. In verse 5, did you notice David does not mention his enemies? He's only focused on God. And we could also notice that he says things with more boldness. Instead of being greatly shaken, he says, I shall not be shaken. Instead of only calling God his salvation or my salvation, he says, on God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. So what does this teach us? What does this teach us? Again, Pastor Marv helped me out with this. He said, or worded it better than I did. What you say and think about God while waiting in the midst of trials makes all the difference. Saying the right things to yourself and others can take you from a place of desperation, confusion, fear, to a place of trust, hope, and confidence. And along those lines of, you know, so David was mindful of what he was saying and what he was saying to God. But then verse 8 takes this interesting turn because now David is still speaking, but it's, it's more so his audience changes. Look at verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. After giving us multiple reasons of why God is trustworthy, David, David then turns to encourage others of why God is trustworthy. And I like what uh, Tim Keller says here. He says, we can best help others with their fears and distress when we have been through our own and found God faithful, a rock and refuge. Sure, I mean, it's possible that, um, you know, you can give counsel to some people, even if you haven't necessarily gone through that experience. But that's why Keller says we can best help others. There's just something about the actual experience, right, that helps you give better counsel to that person. Because you're just like, yeah, I've, I've, I've been through what you've been through. I know what you mean. So... If you're like me, and oftentimes during trials, you're wondering, Lord, like, why is this happening? Why? Like, I, I really don't understand why I'm waiting this long. It's so hard. There's a chance that part of the reason you're going through what you're going through is so that you can be a blessing to someone else. And honestly, I will say that that is what the Lord has done in my life. Even though sometimes the trials are as mysterious as they come, I've eventually saw how he used it to bless somebody else. And that's why I realized that trials, they don't just refine us. They serve as experience to help others in their refining process. So praise God for trials because it helps us love our neighbors better. Now, I'm still in verse 8, and, and I, want us to, I want us to notice how David tells us to, to trust in God at all times. 
Like there's never a season where you stop trusting God, even though you may not be going through a trial. You still got to trust God. And keeping this in mind, what do we do? He says, pour out your heart before him. Pour out your heart. I love that. God is a God who wants to hear our deepest thoughts. He invites us to share what we wouldn't even share with our closest friends. Like, are you afraid? Tell him. Are you anxious? Tell him. Do, do you feel a sense of shame from something you did, even presently, like right now? Tell him. And do you see that? Do you see at the end of verse 8 what, what David says? He reminds us that you should pour out your heart to God because you can honestly express yourself and feel safe. We, we often hear this phrase, you know, this is a safe space. And they usually say that in like a therapy sort of counseling kind of setting. And what they mean by that is like, whatever you share in that moment, you're not going to be met with judgment and it's not going to be shared to other people. Well, what, what, what inevitably happens sometimes? People end up judging us. And on top of that, that person or people whom you're like, I didn't want you to know that about me. They end up finding out things that you didn't want them to know. And that's why it's so beautiful to see how God is our refuge. He won't point fingers. He won't spread what you share with them. It, it stays between you and him. You can feel protected as you pour out your heart to God because he protects his people. That's why it's wise to wait on him. And uh, on top of those two reasons, I actually have one more for us. Here's our third and final reason for why it's wise to wait on the Lord. It's wise to wait on the Lord because he's always faithful to his people. He's always faithful to his people. So in verses 1 to 4, we, we saw how David talks about his enemies, right? And then in verses 5 to 8, he made no mention of them. And now in verses 9 and 12, he begins talking about people again, but not specifically his enemies. Like, let's break this section down into little parts. Here, verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. David gets kind of like Proverbs-y on us. Um, and if you find that confusing, look, all he's saying is this. There's two kinds of people in these verses. The first is those of low estate. And those are like common folk, probably like you and I, right? Everyday folk. And then there's powerful people, right? Rich, powerful, those kinds. But, you know, when you, when you put them on a scale, right? When you put these two, two people on a scale, you might think, oh, well, the powerful person is going to be like this and, you know, the common folk is here, but they're actually balanced. Why is that? Why, why is the scale balanced? Well, it's because they are a breath of air. They're a breath of air. It doesn't matter if you're poor or powerful, strong or weak, influential or common. The reality is one day you and I will die. So if you're heavily trusting in people, you shouldn't. 
And David continues to warn us by teaching us what not to trust in. He says, put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. So there's people who like really rely on people to get through life. And then there's people who really rely on money. And what does David tell us? Don't trust it. Don't trust it. See, some people can trust money so much, they don't care how they get it. They will, they will break the law in order to get money. Like, do you see that? That's what David is saying about extortion and robbery. Now, you might not be that person who breaks the law. And that's why David also touches on that. He says, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. Sometimes there's, there's seasons in our life where there's just more money in our bank account. We didn't actually go seeking for it. But still, the message is the same. Don't trust it. Don't trust it. This is why I like uh, watching movies or learning about people who rob banks. And it's not because I want to rob a bank. That thought has never occurred to me. But here's two things that end up happening. One is this. Someone ends up dying or the person actually finally gets caught. And so here is where, you know, you see, you watch those movies or, or whatever documentaries and you see what David's talking about. Humans are but a breath and money disappears as quickly as it appeared. And I, I, don't, I don't want you to get me wrong here. Like the truth is we all need people and money to survive in this life, especially in those times of waiting, in those times of those difficult trials. But What's David trying to get at? He's, he's trying to say, look, compared to God, how much do you trust people and money? And it's here where I want us to remember Paul's words at the end of Philippians chapter four, verse 19. He says, and my God will supply every need not every want, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will take care of you. He will. So put your trust in him. After giving us a brief lesson of what not to put our trust in, David then reminds us once again of who we can trust. Look at verses 11 to 12. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. What David's trying to say here is that he's reminded of two promises, these, these promises that he's actually heard frequently throughout his life. He tells us that God is a God of power and God is a God of love. And as it relates to his trial, David understood that God is able to deliver him because he's powerful. And then his act of deliverance is reflective of his love. So if our hope is in this powerful and loving God, like David, we can expect God to deliver us. And we can have this confidence because through the work of Christ, God delivered us from sin and death. God saw how hopeless many of us were placing our faith in ourselves and other resources. He saw how we rebelled against him willingly, living life by our own standards. And in his love, 
He sent Christ into the world to live a perfect life, a life that you and I can never live. And Jesus Christ eventually was nailed to a cross, taking the punishment that we deserve. But three days later, he rose again, defeating sin and death. Those who repent and place their faith in him will be forgiven and will no longer have to fear death because God has already delivered them. So if this is the God that we call Father, that we don't have anything to fear during trials that call us to wait. We can have a silent confidence before God, truly understanding that it is wise to wait on Him. Because after all, God saves His people, God protects His people, and God will always be faithful to His people. That's why. So, please pray with me as we bring this to a close. Father God, um, waiting is hard. It's really hard, um, no matter the circumstance, but especially when we're going through a trial. And, uh, you know, Lord, I, I, I ask that you would give us strength. I, I ask that we would take this sort of soberness and calmness that David had. It almost seems unachievable, but it's possible through you, Holy Spirit. Help us to live out what David does in this psalm and help us to apply that in our lives. Help us to trust in you because there's nothing too hard for the Lord. And ultimately, because Lord, through, through Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from sin and death. And so may this be our hope as we continue on with our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.